Welcome into another round of the Props and Hops Super Bowl Shuffle interview series. I'm your host, Matt Landis, joined today by NFL handicapper Cleve TA. You can find him on Twitter at Cleve TA. That's C L E V T A. Also, check out his website, cleveanalytics.com. TA, it's been a minute. Welcome back to Props and Hops. Uh, thanks for having me, Matt. I can't believe we're uh, approaching the final game of the season. It's been a long season, but it's been a fun one. And, uh, I'm glad. Uh, I think the last time we were together was over the summer uh, doing a preview. So uh, good, good to be back on the show. Good to be taking it full circle here with you. And while we do have plenty to look forward to with the Super Bowl just days away, do you want to keep that big picture in mind? And since we last connected to preview the season, what would you say is the biggest lesson you've learned this season from a betting perspective? You know, the one uh, area that uh, I've essentially been been able to embrace, not as much as I'd like, and I think I'm going to uh, continue on next year, but really just embracing the um, kind of the wagers that are more um, long tail outcomes, uh, especially on the upside. So, you know, obviously everyone just thinks that all these lines are so efficient and the numbers are, um, you know, the, the final results are just right around the, the number and Vegas knows and all that stuff, but it's really not the case. And it goes all the way back to preseason win totals. Um, you know, I posted something on Twitter. I don't even actually, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but essentially how, you know, each and every year for the last decade, um, except for last year, uh, the win totals have been just com completely, you know, standard deviation wise, uh, well off of, of the norms. And it's, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense to just take over and unders. It's, it's taken some of these alt overs and alt unders. So I started to do a little bit more of that. I had some, some Rams alt unders and some Seahawks alt overs, for example, I had, had Panthers alt overs. And so, you know, mostly those, those did pretty well. And then I continued that on through the season, uh, especially with player props. Um, and, you know, a little bit with, with the, with the, the side, um, you know, with size, it's just, if you have conviction on something, just take, take the alt lines. Um, you know, cause a lot of times the, the long tail outcomes, um, are in your favor and you can really, you know, um, hit some, some big numbers. So like I said, did that with some, some money lines and then some, um, you know, alt spreads, but then also on the player props really, uh, were something that I, st I started to embrace a lot more midway through the season and hit a handful of, you know, double digit, um, uh, you know, outcomes. So really ended up being pretty good from that perspective and, I think going into next year and doing a lot more of that and maybe staking a lot more than, than I did this year. But that, that's definitely one thing that I learned uh, is that just just embrace the variance uh, a lot more than, than I had in the past. As you talk about that, embracing some of the alt lines, I think there's a good connection to a great conversation I had with Las Vegas Chris in this very same interview series to kick off the week on Monday. So glad to hear you expanding upon that topic. And it sounds like a lot of the variants you embraced over the course of this season paid off quite nicely when you talk about some of those alt season win totals you got down on. But I know it's not always roses here. So as a better this season, thinking back to, uh, you know, anything as far back as week one or perhaps even the preseason, what would you say has been your most tilting loss or perhaps your most tilting moment overall this season? <laughs> uh, there's been a lot. And I, I don't, you know, nobody likes to to hear a bunch of bad beat stories, right? Like that's not uh, what anybody wants to tune into. But I, I got to tell you, Matt, like I, it, it felt pretty jarring throughout the season. Just not, not in the sense of, oh, a backdoor cover here and there or losing. I'm talking like, just extreme outcomes that are, you know, less than call it 5% probability. 
Um, I was on the negative side of that way too often. And then, you know, I know you had sent me some questions in advance. So I went and looked it up uh, because I was curious. I went, I've got, you know, you could go on my website, by the way, and see my entire um, uh, track record for the season. All the games are on there. So you can, you know, you could take a look at yourself. So I went through and said, oh, which ones did, you know, do I recall being like the really, really gut punching losses and which ones are, you know, help me on the positive. And I counted uh, nine on the negative and then five on the positive. It actually felt worse because uh, a lot of the negatives and bad beats were some of my higher kind of higher conviction, higher unit plays. So actually on a kind of a unit perspective, I lost a lot more. Um, I would say of all of them, I mean, there's been a handful. I can I can run through them real quick. But, you know, for example, week two, I had Washington, Carolina in a teaser. I had Washington plus eight and a half uh, in, in Detroit. And it's funny because they opened two and a half, got it down pretty quick uh, to the through the eight, you know, through the, the three and the seven. Nice one teaser. Uh, the line actually closed Washington as a favorite, if I recall. So I got really, really good line value. They were down big early, came back, scored a touchdown, cut it to nine couple minutes left and they really should have gone for two, but Ron Rivera is not you know, the sharpest uh, uh, tool in the shed. And he ended up uh, kicking the extra point, which at the time I was thrilled because that's all I needed for to cover my teaser. And they missed the extra point. Like just, and I lose the teaser by a half, you know, just a completely brutal loss there. I had, um, this is, I mean, a couple totals. I had Atlanta, San Francisco week six. Uh, I had it over 44, they hit 42 points with eight minutes left in the third and do not score a single point combined the rest of the game. Um, I had a couple of instances on totals like that where, you know, they're within like a point or two uh, midway through the third quarter and, and don't end up scoring the rest of the way. Like there's just, you know, I had the Jets in week 18 uh, plus three and a half in Miami, just a horrible line. Skylar Thompson laying three and a half covering or winning the entire game. Um, Miami kicks a field goal to go up three. Uh, they do the the whole lateral bit at the end and it goes into the end zone for a safety and they lose by five. Like just, just, I mean, like I said, not bad beats, just like atrocious, like gut punches. So there was a bunch of them there and um, you know, it, it was almost a two to one uh, to the negative versus, you know, on the positive side. So, you know, again, I, I live with it. I ended up, you know, plus eight units on the year, uh, you know, uh, over 3% ROI. So just, you know, a decent season, but it could have been a lot better if, if the 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 bad and the and the and the lucky ended up uh, converging a little bit and it was more equal, yeah, I feel like sometimes more than anything else, betting is an exercise in mental fortitude, just overcoming those gut punches, as you put it. And it's good to hear that the season overall did treat you pretty well, despite things like that Washington teaser in week two. I was with you there, also having <laughs> plus eight and a half on a six point teaser where you've got the team that closes as the favorite, and when the missed extra point is the difference. That's a lot to bounce back from. But at the same time, this kind of stuff happens a lot more than the casual better might think. And things do tend to even out, at least in the long run. I know this season, it sounds like variance skewed to the negative side for you. But overall, we do get some good breaks as well. And it's important to keep those in mind to just keep some mental stability over that long haul. And to that end, if we look at the other side of the spectrum, TA, how would you describe perhaps your most fortunate win of the season? Um, yeah, well, real quick too, just another one I just thought of, because it's just, it's just so tilting, sure. you know, that yeah, you know, the, yeah, no, so I had, I had over, um, I think it was over 42 in the, uh, in the, um, uh, New England Cincinnati game. 
And I think it was 23-17, I believe, was was the final score. And that was the one with four missed extra points and uh, uh, Stevenson, Ramon J. Stevenson, fumbling at the three-yard line at the end of the game. So, like, all of that to lose by two points on a total. That was just brutal. Yeah. I, had to bring I believe that, that was too. Christmas um, Eve, so uh, Merry Christmas there. Oh, my gosh. Just, I'm just telling you, like, those are brutal. Probably the best, uh, I guess, the luckiest win. And it's it was a, it was probably the longest week of the season. Uh, and you'll know why when I talk about it was that Minnesota Buffalo game mm. um, with the with the lucky you know the crazy Justin Jefferson catch and then obviously um, you know the safety uh, or what not wasn't even a safety it was a fumble in the end zone that you know so that was lucky I was on Minnesota and that was rough because you know I had a little bit on the plus seven and a half early in that week with the Josh Allen kind of rumors. And then I got, got more down at five and a half and at four and a half, I was heavily exposed to Minnesota from, from, you know, all the, I heard from a lot of people that week that, you know, Allen was most, most likely to be out and then he ended up playing and it was too late um, for me to, to, to do much um, in terms of um, covering some of my, uh, my position. And I was just totally exposed. Just, I, I thought for sure they were going to get blown out and it was a blowout until that miracle comeback and the Justin Jefferson catch. And, you know, I ended up winning everything at the end, which was just like, I, that was, I, I guess I'd call that my luckiest win and just my most fortunate because I had so much exposed to it and was a wrong, ended up being on the wrong uh, side of, of the, uh, the closing line. And, you know, just all of that was, I, I misread everything that week and ended up winning. So that was definitely my, uh, I guess the most memorable on, on the positive side. Yeah, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And that brings to memory, that was one of two marquee quarterback fakeouts that we got this season. When I started this interview series with Drew Dinsick last Monday, he mentioned that one of his most tilting moments of the season was the Chargers week three game against Jacksonville because the Justin Herbert will here, won't he play after a brutal rib injury suffered in that primetime game at Kansas City. Uh, that led him to a pretty rough outcome, the way the Jags just took it to the Chargers in that one. And again, over the course of the week, it was he was, you know, maybe going to play. And then Friday of that game, it seems like there's no chance he plays. Then game day, he's active. Yeah. Sometimes we, we're just dealing with so many varying degrees of uncertainty. And I like the point of I'm glad this worked out for you. But you also acknowledging that perhaps you were overexposed on Minnesota because sometimes things can change on a dime. And if you don't have really rock solid information, it can also be, even when it works out, still perhaps a cautionary tale in something like bankroll management. And and I will say one other thing, I, I guess this kind of leads me to what else did I learn this year? I mean, uh, injury news was, uh, the market is not efficient. Everyone who says that, that the market is perfectly efficient, those are two examples of it's not because the news was wrong in both cases. Uh, and the market was way wrong uh, in both cases. So not everything, you know, the, the Vegas knows is not always true. And not everybody, especially when it comes to these injuries where players dictate at the end of the day what's going to happen. Um, you know, they, you know, they control the, the outcome here. And both guys wanted to go and both guys ended up playing and, and the market was was dead wrong. So, you know, yeah, the market is efficient in general, but, you know, in very specific instances, it's not always correct and can be way wrong. So those are two that definitely stand out. There are others. Um, there's there's sometimes where I actually heard early, early in the season, a guy had COVID and was not going to play and he ended up playing and ended up playing really well. So there's like it just the information was just way you got to be careful, I guess, understand who your sources are and you just got to make sure it's rock solid because people got, you know, screwed, I guess, um, 
from a closing line value perspective over and over. Although those are two examples of, of actually winning <laughs> despite being wrong. But uh, in general, it was uh, it was an interesting year from that perspective. When it comes to fine tuning your filter and really putting your trust behind the right sources, I'd also like to touch on betting content with you. Beyond the bets that you make, you're also pretty active on Twitter and definitely a follow that everybody should have in their arsenal. Again, at CleveTA if you're not following him already. So with your knowledge of not just betting, but the betting content space, what would you say you've seen over the course of this season? Uh, a two-parter here. What would you like to see less of across gambling Twitter? And what would you like to see more of across gambling Twitter or just the betting content space in general? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is such a, I mean, it was such an influx of new content creators and, you know, uh, people on Twitter getting retweeted and just seeing different things. I, I don't know. I mean, I try to stay out of a lot of the Twitter fights when it comes to kind of, um, you know, all that's going on with, with the content space and with, you know, um, people that are tweeting out like, oh, here's how you become a winning better. Like, and here's my thread. Like, that's why I, I want to see less of that, by the way. That's a lot of that self-serving. It's not, you're not actually trying to help people. You're trying to gain followers and try to, you know, essentially use your, um, your account to, to prove how smart you are, if you will. And, I, you know, I just kind of laugh. Like, I don't need to see a, a 30 tweet thread about how you're going to be this great better and this great, you know, gambler. It's like, if you had all the answers, you, you know, you wouldn't be just posting it on Twitter anyway. I understand like helping people. I don't mind that, but just, you know, just the long threads of here's how you make money and here's how you're winning better. I just, I just kind of laugh at that stuff. In general, I stay out of all, a lot of these Twitter fights. Like I, you know, I've stated before, I'm not a pro better. I don't do this for a living. I mean, I treat the NFL like it's, like it's a, a, a job, but you know, I have a, I have a, a you know, a finance uh, job in real life and um, I don't rely on, on betting for my income and to feed my family. So, you know, who am I to step in and, and try to, you know, argue with, with pro bettors, you know, even guys who are, um, you know, on Twitter and, and don't have, you know, don't use their real names or anything. They're, they're anonymous. It's fine. Like they, they're the ones who have to feed their families and rely on all of this um, uh, to, um, to get income. So I could see them getting really upset and not being happy with a lot of stuff that's, that's gone on. And some of the, uh, um, you know, things that are affecting what's going on, um, from a, from a money perspective, um, in the space. So I kind of stay out of it. I kind of sit and watch. So, uh, and if, if I get called out for something that I say that's wrong that maybe a, you know, a pro better, um, really disputes, I'll, you know, step back and say, you're right. And kind of delete it and kind of move on. So, uh, but in general, I, I, I want to see less kind of self-serving, you know, here's my my ways to make you the best better in the world. And, um, you know, and uh, I'll let others do that. I mean, I'll, I'll say one other thing and this. Now, this is self-serving. This is more personal because uh, I'm kind of sick of it. And I have I you know, rarely do I say things about this, but I'm kind of sick of people flat out just stealing my analysis and my uh, information that I put out both. Um, you know, uh, on my website, then also on Twitter, like I see it way too often. I get at least one DM a week. I'm telling you, Matt, at least one DM a week from, from followers saying, Hey, do you know this person on this so-and-so pod just flat out stole, you know, the, the information that you, um, put out there and, and didn't give you any attribution. And, um, and it happens all the time. And it's just like, I don't mind people taking some of my ideas or some of my analysis or some of my stats that I, that I put together in my research and, and, and talking about, just give me a little attribution every once in a while. Just, just don't try to, you know, uh, 
take uh, do no work and just steal someone else's uh stuff and um you know and, and try to act smart with it and that that's what bothers me so that's just a pet peeve of mine personal thing happens a lot those who those who are doing it they know they're doing it uh, so i don't have to call them out but uh, i get <laughs> just know that i know and i get a lot of messages about it so and it's not just one person it's not just two people it's multiple podcasts and um, I mean, I had a guy a couple of years ago who's flat out just taking, I was tweeting out picks and they're just flat out taking it and, um, repackaging it and selling it <laughs> without me knowing. And someone told me about it and it's just like, what in the world's going on? So anyway, that's just a personal pet peeve of things that, that, uh, I'd like to see changed. Yeah. Flashback to our school days. I believe that would be categorized as plagiarism. So that really resonates <laughs> with me as somebody who doesn't claim to be not let alone a pro better, but even much of an originator when it comes to all this. I think one of my better strengths is being able to identify the signal from the noise across the space and really curate the best of the best when it comes to the sharpest people sharing information publicly. And I try to be as sharp as I can when it comes to giving proper attribution and when sharing other people's ideas, not presenting it as my own. Um, you or anybody else who's listening to this show, please take me to task if that ever is not the case. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, it does happen a lot throughout the space. So that really does resonate with me. And TA, going back to your first part of your answer to that question, I think you mentioned uh, one thing that sounded good, being open-minded to if there's a back and forth with a pro better or somebody who's really sharp and makes a good point keeping an open mind and being willing to evolve and see things the way that they're presenting it. But I think I also heard you say, oh, if you change your mind, you might delete something. Um, did you mean that sometimes you'll actually delete tweets from a previous argument? Or is that more just like the way that you mentally process information, getting rid of an old opinion to make room for a new one? No, no. I mean, if I say something that is just categorically wrong or incorrect, and I'm corrected by somebody in gambling Twitter who does this for a living. I will delete it just because why would I put it up there when, I, when I've been corrected and, and I know that I'm wrong? Um, and it's not opinion based. It's actually like fake, uh, you know, fact based or math based that maybe I just didn't put enough thought into it. And it's just, you know, on a whim, I just, you know, tweeted something. So like I said, that that is just, you know, if, if I was just flat out wrong and I just delete it because why would I put it up there if it's not correct anymore? That's that's what I mean. Not an opinion. Anything that's opinion based, I, I'm, I'm fine with. Um, but if, if I, you know, uh, information is, is incorrect, I don't, there's no need to have it back up there. So, so that's all my whole, my whole point is just, I respect those who are doing this for a living and are, you know, uh, breathing, you know, eating, breathing every single day of their lives and putting food on the table because of, uh, because of this. And, you know, th they obviously have, are in the trenches more than I am on a daily basis. So, um, you know, I'm not always right when I, uh, tweet something about the if I tweet something within the industry or within um, that you know that is incorrect that that's all I meant by that got it yeah thank you for the clarification there and I only followed up because I know that some people deleting pics once they're incorrect that can be a hot button oh, topic no. across gambling twitter oh, I don't do that if you're trying no, to no, do no, it no. for the sake of accuracy or no. uh, you know steering people in the right direction I totally hear you there and and yeah I I have never come across anything along those lines that you've done but just thinking that if somebody hears deleting tweets, that could be triggering for a sports better who, you know, consumes content across the space. So wanted to make sure we, we set the record straight on that before we moved any further. So uh, yeah, TA, thank you for that. I want to be sure to also, while I have you touch on a game coming up this Sunday, Super Bowl 57 between the chiefs and the Eagles. If we look at things from a macro level perspective, I know full game side in total, this is, you know, 
perhaps the most efficient game of the season, if we consider how spot on the betting market is likely to be. But if you think about the side or total in this one, overall matchup, what are your thoughts on this Chiefs-Eagles showdown? I mean, it's a fascinating matchup. I think it really is going to be a good game. Um, not that I'm, uh, I'm breaking any news. I mean, look, when if you for someone who doesn't know kind of which side they want to be on and they just want some action on the game. I get it. It's a Super Bowl. You just want to put a few bucks on it. I mean, honestly, like you can't go wrong. I know it sounds it sounds very elementary, but it's hard to not back Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs just from a kind of margin of safety. Um, I mean, they have not lost by more than four points all season in any game. If you go back in Patrick Mahomes' career, like besides, you know, the Super Bowl a few years ago when he didn't have an offensive line, how often has he lost by more than, you know, one score? It, it's like it's like never happens. So just from a, hey, I, I know that at worst I'm going to be in this game if I'm if I'm a Kansas City backer. Um, and obviously on the upside, you know, they could easily blow out Philly. They've blown out many other teams. So if you have no other opinions, you just want a few bucks on the game, I could totally see. Um, just from a pure, like I said, margin of safety uh, aspect, um, you know, the Chiefs, you know, are, are not the worst position to be in. Uh, I don't have a plan on the side or total. I'll just be fully transparent. I got a bunch of props, but I, I think it's going to be a really interesting matchup. I mean, you got, uh, you know, a lot of talk about the 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 schedule, strength of schedules for for both sides. You know, you got the Eagles who literally have had one of the easiest schedules we've ever seen in a Super Bowl. I think it's the easiest since the 06 Seahawks that lost 21-10 to Steelers in the Super Bowl um, from a DVOA perspective. And I don't think DVOA even picks up stuff like, you know, the Niners did not have a quarterback for for two quarters. Um, you know, uh, you know uh, Cooper Rush versus Dak Prescott. Like, I don't think uh, the, those metrics even pick that up. They just pick up the team, you know, overall team metrics for the season. So um, it's probably even easier <laughs> than what the numbers say. Um, so I think there is actual validity to that. I mean, I compare it to uh, kind of how I viewed the, the New England Patriots the last two years from a defensive perspective, especially. And it took me a little while. It took me into a couple of weeks into this season to really grasp it. But, you know, the Patriots are uh, last year, I think they were top five in um, EPA on defense. And then this year they were number one or number two for a while. And that really skewed how I think people modeled out. Uh, and viewed some of the the games against you know, competent quarterbacks because what they do is they just suffocate the really bad offenses and the really bad quarterbacks to such a degree that it uh, is a complete um, you know it skews the overall numbers and I mean to the point where I think like I was looking at the, the EPA game logs of the entire season and I think two or three of the of the five worst offensive performances all season by any team uh, came against the Patriots defense. I think it was like a Sam Ellinger game and a Zach Wilson game. Um, but against everybody else, against like legit quarterbacks, even just average, like Derek Carr level or above, it's a very mediocre defense. And so you've got to be careful as to, uh, you got to actually know how some of these advanced metrics, how these EPA numbers um, come about, right? Like this, the couple outlier performances against some really poor uh, offenses can really skew, you know, a defense like that. And I think you get a little bit of that with the Eagles. I mean, uh, you can sit there and say, well, they played who's on their schedule, but like, what did they do against legitimate quarterbacks? The couple that they played, it's a very average to below average pass defense. And like, I, I have, uh, you know, people who follow me on Twitter have, know this or pick this up. I actually have a, I know the defensive coordinator for the Eagles. I have a 
kind of a quasi relationship um, with him and, and people surrounding him. So I know his philosophy is to really prevent big plays. Uh, that's really the goal because big plays, explosive plays are what uh, wins and loses a lot of these games. It determines that. So they do play soft coverage on purpose uh, over the middle of the field uh, to prevent the big, big plays over the top. And they just rely on their front four to get pressure. If they can't get pressure on and Patrick Mahomes, then they're just going to just exploit the middle of the field with Kelsey and, uh, the running backs um, a ton. And so it's really going to come down to, um, you know, how the defense gets pressure for for the Eagles because otherwise, like, they can really get sliced and diced. I mean, uh, to me, I compare this Broncos defense, you know, it's probably the closest cop, I think, to the Eagles. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes threw for, you know, over 320 yards in both games against Denver. He did throw four interceptions. So, you know, you can get get to him and cause some trouble. Um, but in general, you know, he's seen good defenses before. So um, I, I just think between that and, you know, on the other side of the ball, the Eagles run offense, the, the, the Chiefs have not faced a single top 10 run offense from an EPA perspective all season. And we got the Eagles that are number one and have the best offensive line, best run blocking offensive line in football. So, you know, that, you know, from a strength of schedule perspective, that is a mismatch. Um, you know, it's essentially an at league average to below league average run defense going up against you know, a very mediocre to bad, you know, easy schedule. And now you get this, be, you know, this behemoth in front of you in the Eagles run off. And so that you can see like I'm conflicted because there are, you know, definitely ways to attack on both sides of the ball. Um, and so, you know, and I, and I do think that uh, the fact that the Eagles are a lot more aggressive on fourth downs is going to help uh, Andy Reid for as great as he is very conservative when it comes to field goals and fourth downs. So, you know, could that cost them late? That's possible. So I, I just don't have a feel for, you know, which side I you know prefer. I would love to tease uh, the Chiefs if I could, because uh, I'd feel very safe at seven and a half, but I have nothing to tease it with. And so I'm, you know, not, not going to tease it with the total or anything like that. So um, long story short, I think it's going to be a really good matchup. It's very fascinating. I think both, both offenses will have plenty of uh, ways to exploit the other team's defense, which probably leads to say, well, why don't you just take the over in that case? Um, you know, I, I just think that, the, the the way that Philly's going to uh, try to exploit Kansas City is just through the ground, and they could be eating up a lot of clock. Um, and you know, at that point, then that, that you know, kind of all bets are off because you know the the pace of play slows down, and you know, it really makes it tough to get over that number. So, uh, for whatever it's worth, my model, which I'm not, I do not rely on. It's just it's just a a, a check, uh, if you will. It has twenty eight twenty six Kansas City. So. You know, I would lean slightly to Kansas City and slightly to the over, but not enough conviction for me to uh, to pull the trigger there. I think I saw something about Pro Football Reference leaking the script for this game with a final score of 37-34 Eagles. So, T.A., it sounds yeah. like you might need to fine-tune that model a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm way off. The script, I was not aware of the script, so uh, I'm going to have to incorporate that next year. Yeah, always improvements to be made. I, I wanted to follow up briefly on a couple of things about this game. Number one, I am wrestling with the fact that for pretty much the whole season, even though the Eagles have been dominant from the start, most people whose opinions I really respect have had the Chiefs power rated as the better team. And it hasn't been too terribly close. So I know the Chiefs have some injury concerns in their wide receiving core. But even though Philly has been so dominant in their two playoff wins, and Jalen Hurts has a really good record as a starter this season. I wonder how we get to the Eagles as a favorite 
And at the same time, this is such an efficient betting market when we're talking Super Bowl point spreads. Have you also had Kansas City power rated the better team pretty much all season? And can you make sense of why they have held pretty firmly as the underdog in this matchup on a neutral site? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's I do. And and I think it's um, yeah, I mean, it's just the the, the accumulation of the injuries uh, to Kansas City. I mean, it has to be. Um, you know, multiple receivers, you know, Mahomes on the ankle. You know, we saw, like, Mahomes, uh, the Chiefs would have closed, what, four and a half probably against Cincinnati if he was fully healthy. So, you know, you could see the value of that ankle alone. Now, even if you discount that because, he, you know, kind of proved that he's still, he's still Mahomes uh, to some degree, even with that bum ankle, um, you know, he, he was a little bit, um, you know, he did, he did hobble a little bit. So you definitely do need to discount that. And then you add in the wide receivers and, um, you know, who even if Juju Smith Schuster does play, even if Kadarius Tony do play, you know, are they 100 percent? Are they just going to be playing on kind of 80 percent? And will they leave early? And so I think all of that kind of, you know, sprinkled in kind of gets you from maybe where the true line should be. You know, if it, it's Kansas City minus one, it gets you to, you know, flip to one and a half to, to the Eagles. That's, that's probably what it is. But the to be honest and. You know, maybe I'll eat my words at the end of the day. Uh, I mean, the difference between uh, a plus one and a half to a minus one and a half is mm-hmm. is not really severe, right? Cutting through the zero. So, you know, this isn't, you know, this isn't Philly minus three here. So um, I don't know if it matters as much. Now, maybe it does because Philly could go for two uh, uh, at some point and, and really change the, the outcome here. And maybe one is a key number with them. But in general, you know, plus one and a half, minus one and a half, it really is kind of negligible either way. So um that's probably you know the reasoning I, I don't think that it's you know worth enough to to really decipher too much other than it's just the injury concerns i guess uh from the chief's perspective Fair I, enough. I will, you know, I, i'm sorry i will say real quick i, I mean the jalen hurt stuff has got to be uh, I, i'm not sure if he's physically still hurt i actually my, my theory is it's more mental um, because when you look at some of his numbers since he's come back, I mean, he just watching the game, he's missed a lot of throws, especially deep. Um, I mean, his completion percentage over expected is minus 3% since he's been back um, compared to plus 3.3 in all the games prior to his injury. If you look at his yards per attempt, 6.5, 6.4, and 4.8 since he's come back, like really, really low stuff, and he's relied on a lot of chunk plays. So I don't think uh, – I think he's healthy. I just think there's something mentally, when especially when it's your shoulder and you're a quarterback, where maybe it changes your your mechanics or just a bit off, um, and maybe that has affected his accuracy. But that that's definitely something that needs to be considered here. Uh, so uh, I just thought I'd throw that in there because I think that's obviously a big factor with with this game. I'm glad you did because that tied into the follow up question I was getting to, where you also mentioned while you see some reason for optimism around both offenses seems like you're leaning toward more efficiency than explosiveness out of these offenses. And that could certainly hold true to an even greater extent if Hertz isn't at his best when it comes to the deep ball. So I know that for the Super Bowl, a lot of props we don't see for every game all regular season could be things like, will a team score in the first six minutes? Will a team score in the first seven minutes? And those are usually a pretty pure derivative of the full game spread in total. So I'm wondering in a case like this, if you think books are pricing it by the chart and we've got a matchup where, yes, these are two good offenses, but even if they're efficient, they're not necessarily going to be explosive. Does that change how you might look at some props like, will a team score in the first six minutes? Will a team score in the first seven minutes? If anything, maybe guiding you a little bit toward the no relative to what this full game spread in total are looking like. 
Yeah, and I wish I had my numbers in front of me. I actually looked at that because, well, if you just look historically, now the problem is, I mean, the Eagles are the best in the NFL, uh, essentially on scripted drives <clears throat> to start the game. So how much does that carry over to the Super Bowl, which is a completely different animal, is a big question. I mean, I looked historically, <clears throat> and if you look at quarterbacks making their first start in the Super Bowl in the last, you know, 20-plus years, um, most of them, God, I wish I had the numbers in front of me. It's like 85% of them do not score in the first six minutes. Um, cause I, I guess that was a specific stat that I was looking for, but the problem is the Eagles are so efficient on early drives and they go for it on fourth downs. They don't punt easily. So they're not like, they're not ones that you would compare to a standard, uh, offense that we've seen in, in the Super Bowl. So it's just hard for me to, you know, really base what I've seen historically, um, and compare it to this Eagles team just because of how efficient they are early in game. So, I mean, I think in general, first quarters are always lower scoring in the Super Bowl uh, and teams do have nerves and, you know, maybe they are a little more conservative, but this Eagles team is, is you know, the complete opposite of that. So it, to me, it's kind of a, it's up in the air in terms of what happens in the first quarter. I, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around exactly how the, the early part of this game will go, because I think that's going to go a long way. And maybe just that leads into just waiting uh, until see what happens in the first two drives, because that will dictate a lot of how this game will go. I mean, if the Eagles fall down early, I think they're in trouble. Um, whereas the vice versa, if if the Chiefs fall down early, I feel a lot better about them coming back. I just don't think that Hurts is in position. He hasn't been doing it much all year in terms of coming back. And I wouldn't rely on his arm um, off script uh, to come back. So, you know, in that case, but if they do, you know, get ahead, obviously you can, you can, um, you know, rely on your run game and, and you have a better shot there. So uh, long-winded answer. I'm not sure how, to, how the first six minutes would play. I would lean no, just because in general, I, I, I just think in general, the Super Bowl is a different animal. And we've always seen the first quarter be so low scoring, but uh, the, 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 you know, the Eagles are a little bit different. So it, it makes it a question mark. Understood. A bit of a push and pull effect there, and we don't have to force the hand. Our best edges better is, is the ability to pick our spots. And to that end, you alluded earlier to having a lot of props in play. Given the current board, TA, is there one bet you care to share as uh, available numbers at the moment of this recording on Wednesday afternoon, early evening Pacific time, uh, your favorite bet on the board for Super Bowl 57? Yeah, so I'm glad you mentioned uh, you know, your very astute uh, observation about how um, just the way I described it, that this should be more of a, you know, a lack of big plays, more checking down, more kind of longer, efficient, more efficient drives, because I do see that's how the Super Bowl will play out. Um, and so a lot of my props are based on that. Um, so, for example, I'm under uh, um, uh, longest completion for Hertz, I think 37 and a half. Um, that's one that I like. Uh, I think they faced uh, the Chiefs are fourth best at preventing explosive plays. And um, between, I think there's three teams that um, Hertz has faced, who is top 10 in um, uh, lowest explosive play rate. And out of those uh, 86 attempts in those games, uh, he didn't complete a single pass over 37 yards. It was against Dallas, Arizona, and San Francisco. <clears throat> those are the other three teams that are, that are top 10 in terms of lowest explosive pass rate allowed. So, you know, I do. Uh, tend to like that under 37 and a half, but I'll say one that I'd like the most is the Patrick Mahomes over. I think you can get 38 and a half pass attempts. Um, I got it in my pocket at 37 and a half, but I like it up to 39. 
So I'm good with that. Um, and again, it comes down to, I think that, again, I, I know this defense pretty well. I know the philosophy. It's force checkdowns, force things over the middle, you know, uh, make sure you can tackle, but do not let anything get over your head. And there's no quarterback in the NFL who is as patient with taking what they're, the defense is giving them just based on, you know, he's had to because so many defenses, you know, run that, that cover two shell against Mahomes. So, you know, I think he's going to he's going to dump off a lot. I think he's going to get a lot of kind of shorter, uh, you know, running back tight end uh, sort of completions. You look, <clears throat> his, you know, in his two Super Bowls, he's attempted 49 and 42 passes in those games. I mean, one was a blowout loss to Tampa. So you would expect a lot of attempts. But the other game was a win over San Francisco. So game script wise, you know, he went well over this number both times in two totally different game states, which I like. Um, and then, you know, you look historically, you know, he has thrown, if, if you take out, if you throw out the game against Jacksonville where he was hurt and the game against Cleveland a couple of years ago when he had that concussion, <clears throat> he's attempted at least 38 passes in seven straight postseason games. He's averaged 42 in that stretch. Uh, you look this season, he's averaging 38.1. So it's right on his average is, is what this prop is, is listed. But, you know, I went back to, uh, I have a database uh, my analyst pulled this together. It's really good work. Uh, every Super Bowl since 2000. Um, and you look at uh, all quarterbacks uh, that have attempted at least 36 passes uh, during the regular season. And I picked, 36 is not something that came out of thin air. It's essentially the 70th percentile. I just picked a uh, 70th percentile and it, it came up 36 attempts. Um, but 70th percentile amongst all the quarterbacks in those Super Bowls. Um, there was 11 quarterbacks <laughs> that had at least 36 attempts. 10 of them um, went over their season average. All of them went over 40 attempts. As a group, they averaged 45.7. Just in general, you get an environment in the Super Bowl um, where it's just more of a, an aggressive environment, more passing. So if you are a quarterback who's been aggressive all year, a lot of, lot of throwing, the Super Bowl is, is the last place that's going to slow that down. It's actually going to increase it and accelerate it, and we just continue to see it. You know, in fact, I looked at, all the I did a deep dive. All the major uh, stat categories from players uh, in the Super Bowl since 2000, from position players, and the single highest rate of occurrence for any of these stats to go over in the Super Bowl um, versus their prop and their regular season average, which are typically pretty close, was pass attempts. Uh, 75% of all quarterbacks who started a Super Bowl in the last 22 years saw their their Super Bowl pass attempts exceed their season average, and again, that just plays into how um, just a more, it's a more aggressive environment. We get it. it's the last game of the year. There's nothing to leave on the table. There's no next week. So, you know, these games are more higher scoring. The offenses, you know, are let loose. So, you know, from that perspective, you know, history says there's going to be a lot of throws from Mahomes. I like the, the strategy factor. Like I said, a lot more dump offs, more things underneath. You know, Mahomes is not going to take a lot of sacks. He just doesn't. What he does, he throws the ball away. So you can get those kind of cheaper attempts there instead of him running the ball, which could be two or three times, four times. Those turn into attempts instead, right? So he's not scrambling with that angle. So that helps. And then the other thing, the final thing is this Eagles defense. Um, they've seen the second lowest neutral game pass rate in the NFL uh, among from, you know, from any other defense. Um, and the Chiefs, you know, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, second lowest neutral game pass rate in the NFL. So you would think that the Chiefs are going to run more than normal. Uh, but they face the lowest aggregate uh, opponent neutral game pass rate in the NFL. Okay, so they, yeah, they've, they've allowed a lot of running. 
Um, but the teams that they face typically run. So that's not a surprise. The Chiefs are number one in neutral game pass rate. Uh, and so the Eagles, when they've only faced, they've only faced two other top 10 pass rate teams, uh, and that's Arizona and uh, Minnesota. And Kyler Murray attempted 42 passes in a close game against the Eagles. Um, it was a three-point game. And Kirk Cousins attempted 46 against Philly. So uh, both times when they faced you know pass-heavy teams, uh, those quarterbacks went well over <laughs> 38 and a half. Um, and like I said, both were pretty close games, especially the, the Arizona one. So game state shouldn't matter. Long-winded, uh, I know, but just gets me a lot of factors, kind of toss into the bowl. And uh, I think that um, Mahomes over 38 and a half is still a good number. I appreciate all the thorough research there. You've clearly done your homework. And I think that prop specifically is – a great case study and the value of line shopping because as you were breaking it down i took a look and not even talking about a bunch of obscure sports books or offshores but in the regulated u.s market we can see uh, uh let's start with bet mgm 38 and a half at a flat minus 115 so there you go that's playable just the way you broke it down DraftKings 38 and a half but it's juiced heavily to the over minus 145 and then we've got FanDuel and points bet hanging 39 and a half, but those are priced between a reduced VIG minus 105 or even money. So even with a player as popular as Patrick Mahomes, some of these props uh, are widely disparate lines from book to book. So 38 and a half for a flat minus 115 is available out there, but as always can't recommend highly enough that people shop around as they're exploring their Super Bowl props. And that's another thing I haven't looked, but um, back to the first question, of the interview was um, for me, uh, you know, embracing the variance. I want to find an alt line on the over if I can find one. Um, if you, uh, you know, in terms of uh, pass attempts, if I can get something over forty-five, I'll take a shot at that too. It's some pretty good plus money um, because if my theory is correct, if my strategy of how they're going to how they're going to be defended is correct, if you know some of the numbers I laid out, the historical numbers about how you know kind of the the median number of uh, you know these quarterbacks similar to Mahomes. Um, historically have kind of hit that mid forties mark, you know, let's, let's embrace that and sprinkle a little bit more on some of these alts. So, um, you know, that, that's how I'm going to attack it. If, if I find some of those. Well said, well, TA, you've been so generous with your time. Want to wrap this up with two rapid fire questions here. One got to weave in the hops. And as I recall, you're more of a Blanton's man. So perhaps some good whiskey or bourbon on tap for you this weekend. Anything aside from the betting portfolio, from a lifestyle standpoint, a go-to food or drink, Anything you've got on tap to help maximize your viewing experience on Super Sunday? <laughs> um, you know, nothing for the food food perspective, uh, especially for the Super Bowl. I'm I'm kind of a a basic uh, basic guy when it comes to uh, typical wings and pizza. Like nothing nothing out of the ordinary um, from that regard. But from the drink perspective, I think I did talk about it last time. I um, I do like there's a um, a local brewery called Fat Heads, and they do have a really good beer called Bumbleberry Beer, which. Uh, if I if I said that to my fraternity brothers back in the day at Ohio State, they would uh, really rip on me, and I wouldn't be drinking that. I'd be drinking probably natural light. Um, but uh, uh, no, but these days, uh, you know, I'm I'm a good for like a two beer, uh, two beers during the Super Bowl. So that that would be my go to. I've got a, a six pack in the fridge as we speak, so I'll be ready to, to probably drink one per half. There, uh, I've got a I've got a pregnant wife and a two and a half year old, so you know I can't go too crazy here. Um, but, uh, but that's going to be my drink of choice. I'm not drinking, uh, any Blanton's or any, um, you know, no sort of mixed drinks during the Super Bowl. That's, I don't think that that's not the environment that I want to do a mixed drink. That's uh, more of a, uh, 
uh, of a beer of a beer night for me personally. So that's probably what I'm going to go for is the is that Bumbleberry uh, Fatheads beer. All right, that's our second. If I'm uh, guessing by the name Bumbleberry, probably on the tart or sour side. If it's fruited, is that correct? it's a little? It's mild. It's a mild. Okay. Uh, 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 yeah, it's a mild uh, fruit. I don't want it to sound like it's you know. Um, you know, you're drinking like uh, fruit punch here, but uh, it's just a very, very mild, like uh, blueberry honey type of uh, a taste to it. So uh, it's very refreshing. Yeah, I like that. And I mentioned it because that is now twice in less than a week where we've had uh, the guest in the Super Bowl Shuffle interview series single out a particular sour beer. So as much as I bring the hoppy side to the table here, can also appreciate a good sour. So it's good to hear that you're enjoying that in your neck of the woods as well. And TA, as part of your answer to that question, um, you know, pregnant wife, uh, another young child already on board, you might have uh, alluded to how you might answer my final question for you. What would you say is one thing you are most anticipating this offseason? Yeah, well, that's it. It's <laughs> my our second uh, uh, daughter coming in uh, early May. So that's a big one. Uh, but I will say separate from that, I, last summer was the first time I had put out a kind of a elongated NFL preview, which, you know, hopefully you were able to, to take a look at. I got a lot of really good feedback, which I was very proud of. It was sent it out for free. Everybody was able to download it on my website. I went through every single team. It was a bunch of great um, graphics that my analysts put together for me. And then I did a lot of the content side. It was, it was just packed with a lot of good information that even I referred to during, during the year. And uh, I feel good because I had the Giants as my sleeper team this year. So I actually ended up uh, looking pretty good, at least from that perspective. So that that helps. But I'm looking forward to expanding that uh, a little bit more. Um, I'm perfectly open to taking any sort of, uh, you know, follower or, um, you know, if you have any sort of advice, things that you'd like to see from an NFL preview perspective, um, you know, let me know. I'm more than willing to break that down if I can and include that. So I'm going to try to expand it a little bit more, but I'm really looking forward to putting that together. It was very helpful from a futures perspective for me. Um, uh, you know, it, it really helped refine my, you know, I had to put in, I had to go through every single team and kind of do a deep dive. So that that definitely uh, uh, helped sharpen my uh, my analysis and, and my, you know, doing my homework for all those teams. So um, I'll be looking forward to doing that after I get at least probably a good month of uh, dealing with a newborn. And then hopefully my wife gives me a little little bit of time uh, to put some of this together outside of my day job. So uh, I am looking forward to that. And it's, uh, it's going to be a very busy spring and summer for me, that's for sure. It sounds like a busy but great one. Congratulations on the second daughter on the way. And I'm so glad to hear that you're planning to do that preview series again because the level of detail yet the simplicity of pretty much having just one cheaters everything was so clean it was such a streamlined experience on the consumer's end so can't wait to see that again i do have to say one complaint and push back if i'm wrong here i think i recall you predicting the chargers to make the super bowl so i guess i can blame you for me getting my hopes up once again on my chargers falling flat on their face when it counted most i was hoping you you wouldn't notice that that i had the chargers uh uh I think I had the Chargers and the Bucks. I really I hate picking Super Bowl. Like I'm much better at like who's going to be the surprise team or who's going to you know fall off the map. I'm horrible at picking the Super Bowl, but I had to do it because um, you know it's one of those things you kind of have to do if you do an NFL preview. And you know by default I I picked the Chargers. I fell into the trap 
um, of JC Jackson and Khalil Mack and, you know, the star studded, uh, you know, off season, it's just, you know, unfortunate. And look, to make you feel better, I had the Chargers. I didn't even mention the Chargers as one of my worst beats this year in that wild card game against the Jags. That was another one that is just kind of like rolled off my shoulder, like uh, par for the course. So, um, you know, I felt the pain with you. Um, but uh, yes, the, the, the Super Bowl outcome was not one that I <laughs> that I predicted correctly. That's for sure. I definitely got that one wrong. At least they made yeah. the playoffs, right? I got we have partial credit. Yeah, two for two, at least getting them to the playoffs. And misery loves company, <laughs> so at least we were in the same boat after that wild card weekend. But TA, we'll probably have to see if we can get you back on uh, once you have something to share with your 2023 season prep. I feel like that'll be here before we know. But in the meantime, again, thank you so much for the time. Want to let you get back to your evening. To the audience, got to remind you, Give him a follow on Twitter if you're not doing so already, at CleveTA, that's C-L-E-V-T-A. And also check out that website, cleveanalytics.com. TA, thanks again. Anything I'm missing or anything else you'd like to add before we get out of here? No, no, I really appreciate it. You've done a great job, and I'm I'm glad for all your success. This is a really great podcast, a good group of guests. And so uh, I'm humbled to to be part of the the star-studded cast. Uh, I'm not sure I belong, but I, I do appreciate it. So thanks. All right. Well, thank you once again for coming back on board and we'll look to do it again sooner rather than later as we get into the off season, ready to prep for 2023. And to the audience, want to thank you for tuning in as well. The daily shows will continue tomorrow and Friday back at it tomorrow evening with Hitman for our final deep dive on props as we approach Super Bowl 57.